0: Bite is as good a reason as any. A Sandman potfic, Part 1 of The Reason's Verse Written by Blue Sunshine and read by Literarian Summary Hob has a bone to pick with, dream of the endless, and damn if he isn't going to find the bastard to have it out. The White Horse Inn is officially condemned in 2009, and Hobb, 20 years after being stood up, decides that he's not going to let that be the last word. Or, 10 years before Paul McGuire either finally loses his nerve or gains it, perhaps, Hobgatling and Johanna Constantine become unlikely partners on a seemingly ill-fated search for an immortal man who never actually gave his only friend his name. Chapter 1 Live your life as you so choose. What a perilous benediction that was. But then, that was his. his friend in a nutshell. Fuck it. Hobgadling may not be his strange benefactor's friend, but his benefactor, nameless, stiff natured ass that he was, was most certainly Hobbs, and he's no say in that. It took Hob near about twenty years to notice to notice that perhaps something was different about him, perhaps something was strange, perhaps he really wasn't going to die. Which is hilarious, considering he'd actually gotten quite badly stabbed in the gut not four years after that merrily drunken evening in a smoky tavern that smelled of goat piss and scorched bread. The night he met a man with a ruby at his throat and a strange almost smile on his face and made a promise he didn't realize then was a promise he was destined to keep. The blade went deep and the wound bled unmentionably. He'd fainted and it felt like hell, waking up, still bleeding. Not a friend nor a physician around thought he'd live, and honestly, Hob himself had waited for the fever and rot to take him. But the fever came and went, and the wound healed. Healed better than any man had any right to expect. Not any faster, though. Took months for his gut to stop pulling, and years for the scar to completely fade off but it did completely fade off. Given enough time, all his scars do, always returning him back to his natural state. He'd thought himself damned lucky, but not a immortal. Not then. But twenty or so years on... He'd started to really notice how his hair took no grey, no silver, nor white. How his joints didn't creak and complain of stiffness and frailty when his friends started to falter towards infirmity. How his face didn't crease and sag and line. Thirty years on, and he'd buried most of them, his friends. He leaves then, goes somewhere he isn't known, fights in another war, then another. Takes more wounds he doesn't die of. Fifty years on, and he knows. He knows, and he starts minding the dates, minding the years, anticipating a meeting with dread and wonder. The twenty or so years after 1889 are much the opposite of those first twenty years or so after 1389. He waits for proof to come that his benefactor has reclaimed his gift, has revoked his perilous benediction. He waits for new creases to appear around his eyes, waits for a white hair. Waits for weakness in hands that have worked and worked hard for centuries. Chooses a more sedate style of living, lest he meet with an accident that he may not eventually recover from, given enough time. Wondering, in dread, if he has enough time. Twenty or so years. Nothing happens. Still living, then, still immortal. It is a relief, and yet the dread doesn't quite leave him. Not of death, but... He's decades yet to wait, to see if his friend will meet with him again. Most of a century. He throws himself headlong into living it. Rightly, fiercely, fully... He goes to war again, worse wars than he's ever seen, meets more people than it's ever been possible to meet before, rides an aeroplane, sees photographs turn into moving pictures, watches moving pictures of a man setting foot on the bloody moon, fascinated by the meteoric rise of technology. He lives, he gathers up his living like an offering for their next conversation, tucking it tightly next to the hope in his breast, and he waits. He waits. He waits. He cheers himself up, wondering what his friend might look like now, always so appropriate of the times and yet somewhat dramatic. Black is quite in fashion now, really, and the hairstyles. He wonders if he'll see that ruby fastened onto a belt buckle or an armband, or if he'll wear it as a proper necklace now that brooches aren't in style. Every day of 1989 has him thrumming in anticipation. And his friend doesn't. Show. Oh, Hob thinks. Oh. This is the punishment. Not to be stripped of his immortality, but of the only companion he has whom he can commiserate with through it. Was he truly so offended? Was he truly so petty? Was he truly not coming back? Another century, Hob thinks. He's just in a huff, but in another century... Damn, damn it! Damn it! But it's not like Hob doesn't have the time. But the pub... What is he supposed to do about the damn pub? If it's demolished, where is he supposed to... Hob has some money to his name. He tried his hand at technology speculations these last few decades, though they called it investments now, shares and stocks, and they paid a decent dividend to a man finding it more and more difficult to deliver a credibly verifiable identity for employment. Technology was the boon and burden of this century, it seems. He entertains some vague ideas of building his own bloody pub as close by as he can, maybe putting up the same bloody sign for when his bloody friend stopped fucking about and came to see him again. And he might do that, actually. He does, in fact. He convinces the owner of a mediocre pub nearby to sell in exchange for a hefty sum of cash and slaps up a banner almost the second the ink is dry on the deed. The new inn, he calls it. Not very original, but it is... on point, as they say. Officially, the owner was a darling old blind woman he'd been friends with for nearly forty years. Fortuna Bradsley. He'd met her as a door-to-door salesman did that for a while, funny odd job, surprisingly anonymous, in the 1950s, and while he couldn't interest her in the newfangled washer machines or vacuums or cosmetics, she seemed eager enough to open the door just for a chance at conversation and hub. Well, he's a people person. He is, and it's rare that he can keep up with the same people for any more than a decade or two. A little longer now, with hair dyes and plenty of excuses between cosmetics and tuck surgeries and good genetics. But still, Fortuna. Body laugh, she's got. Used to be a switchboard operator before that was built out and made obsolete. Loved gossip, she did. Thought he was lying half the time and told him so, the stories he'd tell... But as long as it kept her entertained, she swore she didn't mind. He's borrowed her name more than once. Learned it's easier now to borrow someone else's identity than to make one up for himself. So long as he's got the money and he's not getting them into any trouble, it seems to work out just fine. Now, the new inn is, frankly, rather shit. Too modern and not modern enough by half, so it's no wonder the business was tanking when he bought it anyways. He's a fair hand at construction. Been a tradesman and a labourer plenty of times. He rebuilds her from the inside out. Puts in an old-fashioned wood-fire stone oven side by side with the newest grill on the market. Tears out a lot of plaster and wallpaper and freshens up the brickwork and the natural wooden beams. Hires a cook and has to teach the young fellow how to cook in all cast iron pots and pans and how to make a good old fashioned recipe. He allows them to add pizza to the menu. Hop does like pizza. Brilliant that. Beer though. These days it's practically barley water, but some things you just have to live with. Doesn't drink as much as he used to anyways. Saves the good stuff for a friend. Or a headache. He's actually rather good at running a business. Had some practice at it over the centuries. Quite a lot of practice, really. It gets boring he'll need another occupation there was always something new to do however in addition to this project of his he spends years writing petitions and roving clerical offices aiding the battle the historical society of london waged against the city council trying to argue for the preservation of a historical landmark Though it wasn't as if London was not riven with historical landmarks. It is a battle, unfortunately, they eventually lose. The White Horse Inn is boarded up at first. Then late neglected. Then finally... The sign goes up in the year 2009 after a long, hard, bureaucratic slog condemned the funding for the original plans of putting up apartments in its place is long gone but the battle is still lost and the building remains in crumbling disrepair how drearily apt of his situation Hop stares at the sign, at the metal fence meant to keep out squatters and board kits, at the sinking roof and the familiar facade. He remembers when it was little more than a hut. You bastard, he mutters to himself. You bastard! Damn it! Damn this! It's been twenty fucking years. A hundred and twenty fucking years. Was that not enough? Hop deserves the goddamned chance to at least apologize, though he damn well shouldn't have to. Was it truly so bloody audacious to consider a fellow a friend? Perhaps it had been presumptuous to declare the other man lonely. Hop knew... So little, so very little of him. Not even a name. He has known him 700 years. Conversely, he had only known him for six days. But that thin thread of connection between them, surely it was worth more than this. To be so fickly abandoned for the affront of forming a, an affection. How damn petty. Hob doesn't care if his friend is a god or a vampire or some other figure of the forgotten occult. He ought to... No. He will. He's going to find the bloody bastard because that... That night was not going to be the last word between them, and damn if he was waiting another 80 years just to find out how petty his friend could be. He was going to find him. It wasn't like he would die for the trying. Probably not, at least. Now... Hob is more in the business of disappearing as opposed to finding, but he does have some vague recollection of someone who'd found his friend before and who had, apparently, even done him a few favours in the years after. Someone who might, might have left behind an inkling of how to do so again. Constantine, wasn't it? Surely she has descendants, some hopefully still in the family business.